right. Gather up, beautiful people. Welcome, welcome to Sunday service. It's great to have you guys. Welcome to TLC. Young and old, old and young. Fresh faces, new faces, old faces. Thank you guys for showing up. Praise God. Hey, uh, my name is Tony. I am the uh, pastor here at a TLC. I'm so glad to have you guys come and just be a part of hearing God's word together. I uh, want to thank the Lord for that. Today, hey, we're starting a new series today. Our series is A Call to Holiness in a Hostile World. A Call to Holiness in a Hostile World. Basically, we spent months and months and months, right, trying to uh, really kind of dig down deep into this idea of what it means to be with God. Because one of the things that we, sometimes I think we forget in the church is that being with the Lord is so much more important than doing things for the Lord. You guys follow me? I think we, 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 we mistake our relationship with God by how much we do with him. What he really wants is how much are you being with me? Is there an actual uh, transparency? Is there a relationship? Is there a connection? We spent a lot of months really kind of digging deep down. Like, hey, what's going on in your heart? Are you making room? Are you having those daily offices? Are you preparing yourself to meet with the Lord of the universe, with the God of creation, with the one who's made you, who knows you, who has called you by name? And we spent a lot of months just really kind of harping on being with the Lord. And so the next few months, I want, uh, to the end of the year, I wanna, I wanna uh, end this with kind of like, how now do we live our lives? If, if this is how being with the Lord is, what is that ought to look like? How is that ought to be reflected now as I live my life out in this relationship with my God? How is the world going to see me and how am I going to bring hope to the world around me? Okay? And I want to make this series as applicable as I can. So I'm not going to try to preach as like, you know, point-wise as I used to right, for this series. I'm going to try my best to make it as applicable um, to real-world uh, situations. And I hope that as you hear it, you're thinking... You're, you're, you're discerning, you're meditating, you're reflecting. How am I going to live this life in this sacredness, in this set apart, in this holiness for my God? All right? And we're going through the book of 1 Peter uh, for, this, uh, for this series because Peter was writing to a church that was in the middle of a hostile territory. Peter was writing to a time and a people who were hostile to the Christian uh, community because they did not want the Christian community around. They were right there, the Emperor Nero in 64 AD, he did not appreciate how Christianity was an affront to a lot of the cultural order of the time. Because Christianity, the people who, who followed Jesus, they refused to bend to the cultural norms of sex, of government, of family, of power. And because of that, they were persecuted, they were seen as enemies, they were hunted down, they were sacrificed, they were killed. Hostile territory, which were all these Christians were living in, and Peter writes them this letter to all the Christians scattered across the world. He reminds them, in spite of all of that, this is how you still ought to live. This is how you ought to present yourself. This is how you ought to be in a world that's def desperately against you, all right? Question, true or false? We still live in a very hostile world to Christians. True, true, yes, right? We live in a world that Christians and, and people who follow after Jesus, 
are, are, are pariahs, seen as an affront to the cultural norm and the cultural order of today. We're fighting against the eradication of biblical Christianity across our nation, across the world, across our cultural norms. And so in the same thread, I want to share with you guys today, in the midst of this hostility, how are you then being with the Lord, having this relationship with God, choosing him, being saved by him, how are you now then to live in this world? Is it to compromise? Is it to put your head down, kind of walk through? Is it just to pretend like you're not? Or is there a way in which you are to live in spite of all of that? And Peter is going to give us some wisdom in this area. You guys ready? Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me read the uh, first three verses for you guys. 1 Peter chapter 2 goes like this. Therefore, again, um, whenever you hear the word therefore in the Bible, it means whatever came before, and now this is how you apply it, okay? Whatever truth was said about God, whatever truth was said about Christ, this is who Christ is, what he has done, this is the hope he brings, this is the life we live, this is who we are in Jesus Christ. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of any kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is giving a language of nutrition and diet here. He's using a language of food, right, that is going to be, um, that, he's, that he's going to use to compare between healthy diet versus an unhealthy diet. There's something that's going to cause you to be sick and it's going to, something that's going to cause you to be healthy, He's taking things that, uh, that we experience physically, eating, dieting, healthiness, and he's using that as examples for our minds, for our emotions, and for our spirit. What is true physically becomes true mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Right? He's using this language. Now, question. How many of you have had a season in your life when you ate pretty much garbage? Not actual garbage, but you know, bad food for you, right? Some of you guys are like, season, I'm still in it, right? You know, in high school, we feel like what? We feel like we can eat anything because we barely gain any weight, right? We were playing sports, our metabolism was high. I personally, I told the uh, men's group yesterday, I was on the Eatles diet, the Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, Taquitos, Burritos, right? I ate things that were made from stuff that you need a PhD in order to pronounce, right? You guys follow me? And then what happened? Then the 20s hit, and then you got YouTube's channels like uh, Epic Mealtime, and then boys being boys, we're like, hey, we can do that. You make these meals, and we try to eat it ourselves, and then you start taking on a few pounds, just a few, right? And then your 20s became your 30s, and your metabolism is shot, and weight starts coming on. And now you don't even need to go to a fast food to gain weight. What happens? You just drive by, <laughs> and you know, automatically your weight just goes up somehow, right? And the thing is, if you're not feeling good, most of the doctors would say, well, tell me your diet, you know? And you get kind of embarrassed, like, uh, no, right? If you're not feeling good, the doctor would say, well, tell me your diet, and I'll probably be able to diagnose what's wrong with you, because what you put in is what you get out, right? Garbage in equals garbage out, okay? You smoke, so what comes out? Your what's shot? Your lungs are broken, right? You drink, your... Your liver is gone, okay? If we keep putting garbage in, guess what? We keep gonna get garbage out. 
So we can do that, or we can do what? Change our diets. And so what Peter is saying here is this. That's true, right? If you keep eating bad stuff, you're going to have you know, diabetes, cholesterol, high blood pressure, all that good stuff, right? But if you want to get healthier, you got to do what? You got to change your diet. What is true physically, what Peter is trying to allude to here, is true spiritually. It's true emotionally. It's true mentally. Okay? Peter is talking about a nutrition for the soul, a whole life nutrition, a, whole, a wholeness nutrition. God wants you to be healthy people. God wants teaching to make you healthy. And here's the thing. All of us are concerned physically about health. We need to, about our health physically, we need to be equally concerned about our health what? Spiritually? You know, and after COVID, we found out what? Mentally, right? Emotionally? Paul, Peter is using this language of diets to tell us how are we to live in a, in a hostile world? How are we to set ourselves apart? And Peter is saying, what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to differentiate between healthiness and unhealthiness. And he lays down five things here. He's going to talk about five things about a diet that's going to make you sick. That if you put these five things into your life, if you're part of engaging and swallowing and, and, and dealing with these five things on a day-to-day basis, they're going to make you sick. Just like bad food will make you sick, if you keep engaging in these things, what's going to come out of you is sickness. And the things he laid down is malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. So let's go through it, okay? If these five things are the things that Peter is saying is going to make you sick, what do they mean? Check this out. Malice. Rid yourself of all malice. Malice. What is malice? Malice is this. I don't like you. I don't want good for you. I want punishment, harm, and damage to come towards you. With my deeds and with my words, I want to make your life as unpleasant as possible. All right? How do you know if you have malice for someone? When they, su- when they suffer, what happens? You cheer. When they are winning, what happens? You're frustrated. Like, how could, get the, how could they get the promotion? How did they get that job? How did they get married? You're frustrated. True or false? Our culture has a bit of a malice problem. True. <laughs> I mean, I hope you know that. I remember, oh man, I remember just last year, it was crazy. Like, I didn't know who this guy was. I just knew he had cancer and he died. His name was Rush Limbaugh, right? He had cancer and he died. And then my social media just went crazy. And I was just like seeing people saying, oh, I'm so glad he's dead. He can burn in hell. I'm like, what? Did he eat their children? What did he do, right? And I found out he's just a political commentator. I'm like, he must have said some crazy stuff for them to like really want him dead like this. Like they're cheering that he died. When I realized there's a lot of malice. There's a lot of malice going on in our culture. How about this? What's the second thing? There's another diet that you take in that end up making you sick. Second thing was what? Uh, deceit. What is deceit? It's not total truth. It's uh, skewing the facts. Being dishonest, taking details, aligning them in a way that shows the worst possible light for another person. Does this still happen? Yes, it does. If you heard of something called the internet, you've seen this happen all the time. If the internet loves somebody, guess what? It paints them on their best days. 
If the internet hates somebody, they find a one day that they were at their worst, and that was their defining moment. Right? Deceit, malice. What about this third one? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. What does hypocrisy mean? Hypocrisy was taken from um, the ancient world where actors would have to play multiple roles because there are not a lot of actors, so they play multiple roles. One actor would put on a mask, play a different role, and then they go back in to come out with a different mask, they play another role, but they never played themselves. So the audience never knew who the person really is. They just know the actors they were playing. And this is what the word hypocrite comes from. So, for example, you're a Christian. You're, you're, I mean, you're with your Christian friends, so you say, praise the Lord, right? You're with your drunk friends, and you say, let's go see him, okay? It's different who you're with. <laughs> you guys finally got that, okay, good, right? And then, it's different who you're with, and the, and the problem is, no one really knows who you are. And this is what you're afraid of, right? And you know you're a hypocrite. You know how you know you're a hypocrite? It's when you're afraid of those friends meeting these friends, because they all know who you are. They don't know each other, but they know who you are. And who you are changes depending on who you're with. That's what we call hypocrisy. Right? A hypocrite, let me tell you, I want to make this clear. Because a hypocrite is not somebody who makes mistake and is inconsistent. Who wrote this letter? Peter. Okay? Peter. Peter was the one writing this. He was a disciple that Jesus said what? Get behind me, Satan. Okay? It's a bad day when the Lord of the universe calls you Satan, okay? That's a bad day, okay? <laughs> he calls Peter Satan, but Peter was not a hypocrite. He was a believer who had issues. He was struggling, but he was struggling to make progress. But there was a hypocrite among the 12. Who was it? Judas. Judas was the hypocrite. For three years, he pretended. He walked among the disciples, but he was always away from them. He helped himself, when, when he was away from them, he helped himself to the money that they were collecting from people. In front of Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Behind Jesus, he says, 30 pieces, I'll sell them out for you. He was a hypocrite. Peter is not perfect. He's straining towards progress. So hypocrisy does not mean that you're not allowed to make mistakes. You follow? Hypocrisy does not mean that you're not allowed to be inconsistent. Hypocrisy is when you show one face here, and you show a different face there, and no one knows who you really are. Okay? What's the fourth thing that Peter says is a diet that's going to make you sick? Envy. Envy. What is envy? Jealousy. Coveting. You covet someone's money, their beauty, their fame, their status. How many of you guys believe that uh, social help media help with uh, envy? Do you ever go through social media and you're just like, yeah, I feel so much better about my life, <laughs> you know? You know that the, the platforms of social media that grows the fastest are the one that shows pictures? You know why? Because pictures are, are the ones that elicit envy the most. What are some of the things we swipe through that we get envy about? Travel. Wow, look at them. How is he able to sell everything he has and just travel the world? That's crazy. I can never do that. I want to, but I can't, right? What else? Physique? Dude, six-pack. I have a cooler, right? So sad. So sad, right? What else? Wealth. Man, look at them. L living luxuriously. How can someone afford a house like that? Look at that backyard. Man. Their pets? Right? 
Look at their pet. Oh, so cute. Love their dogs. Why can't my dog obey me? Right? You get envious. There's envy here. That's the fifth one here. Fifth one. I'm making my point. Okay, slowly. Slander. Slander. What is slander? I want to make myself look better by making you look worse. All right? True or false? There's a lot of slandering going on in our world. All right? Satan's name is the deceiver. His name means deceiving. Right? The deceiver. Slander is what Satan does. And any slander you see on this earth is demonic. It is from the father of lies. It's drawn from that. It is evil in itself. Okay? So let me tell you this. If these things are a part of your diet, you're going to be a very what? Sick person. Peter is saying these are the very things that's garbage going in. Therefore, the only thing you expect to come out is what? Is garbage. You're going to be a very sick person if you keep taking these things in and then these are they're going to come out. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. And guess what? These are the primary categories for all social media and media platforms. Yes? So the first thing you do in the morning, you wake up, you pick up your phone, and you start swiping through your social media. What are you doing? You are basically poisoning your soul for the duration of the day. It's like waking up, drinking uh, battery acid, and wondering why I feel dead at the, um, my midday. You're consuming poison, and therefore, what's going to come out of that is sickness. There's no way you can take all this in and be healthy. And Peter is making this comparison. He says, if you're going to be the people of God in this world, in a hostile world, if you're going to be a people of God, one of the things that you got to have to realize is the unhealthy diet you've been taking in. And the question remains is this, is there an alternative to this kind of diet? Is there an alternative food source to this type of diet? And the answer is yes. What does Peter say? He says, like newborn babies, verse two, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Again, he's using the language of, of food, of diet, of health. Peter is saying, what you should be taking in is the word of God, okay? Peter, you need nutrition for your mind. You need nutrition for your heart. You need nutrition for your soul like a baby needs good food. You know you can't feed a baby hamburgers, right? You can't feed babies like, you know you want to feed them like, you know, all the, all the stuff so they can eat it or you need to make themselves like, oh, hey, he's Asian, give him durian, he'll make it, you know? Like, so, but the more you give these babies these things, guess what's going to happen? they're gonna have an allergic reaction to it. Their body can't process it, and that's why they have a lot of allergies when they grow up a little later. See, the, body, the babies need a very specific type of nutrition in order for them to be healthy, right? I mean, all you mothers know this. What's true of a child is true of a child of God. And if these five things on the menu are bad for you, then there's only one thing that can make you healthy, and that's what? The word of God. The word of God. The God who made you, guess what? He has this, the God who made you has a design, a diet for you because he loves you and he wants you to be healthy and to grow. He doesn't want you to be sick, depressed, 
anxious, miserable. He has given you a diet to actually help you get better. You need, you need God's word just as much as you need food. Right? Now, here's the thing about taking in God's word. You need to disciple your palate. You know what that means? You, you, need, you need to practice it until your palate gets used to it. If your palate is, I just like the news, guess what? You're not going to be healthy. If your palate is, I just love being on social media, guess what? You're not going to be healthy. If your palate is, I love to binge on Netflix K-drama, right? Guess what? You're not going to be healthy. These things aren't sin, by the way, but they're like junk food. It's not nutrition. If you want to be healthy, you got to take in what is healthy food for you. But when the first time you take in healthy food, guess what's going to happen? Your body's not going to like it. He's not going to be used to it, right? I was talking to some gym rats yesterday from men's group. I said, I said how, many, how long will you have to go before your body gets um, used to like, uh, you know, healthy eating? It's like three months. Three months. Three months of working out, three months of eating right for your body to actually uh, acclimate to the nutrition that you're having, okay? You ever talk to people who said like, yeah, I've been eating so healthy lately, but I don't feel like I'm changing, you know? And you ask them, so what have you been eating? Like, I had a carrot on Monday. And that's it, just a carrot on Monday. Oh, okay, well, that's, that's probably why, right? So or you, you talk to people like, hey, you know, like, I've, been, I've been working out a lot, and just, I just can't lose the weight, and this must be my genes, right? How long have you been working out? Like once a week? Oh, yeah, that's probably it. That's probably the reason, right? You got to do it for a while, don't you get, right? 20 and 30 years of bad Nutrition is not going to be overcome overnight. That makes sense, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to like, like bait and switch you guys here. This is something you understand physically, so just understand it emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Your palate is not used to this, so you got to do what? You got to continue to train it, to enjoy it. And but, but what, here's the thing. Once you change your diet, though, you start to get healthy, you realize what? You realize how sick you really were, right? You realize how really sick you were. I remember um, I, uh, I, don't, I don't drink uh, soda anymore. I've just, I, I just been able to cut that out of my diet, right, and just juice. And even if I do drink juice, we'll kind of water it down. I remember, uh, I remember, I remember when, I, when, I had a, when, when Evan was over, we poured him some juice, and he poured water into it, right? I was so offended. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, it's too sweet. I'm like, bro, you just ruined water and the juice at the same time. Like, what's wrong with you, right? I was thinking, I was, I was like all, all offended by it, but I realized it's probably because he was really healthy, right? That's why Elijah's a beast and Enoch is Enoch, right? So, it's, you, know, you know, but it's, it's once, you, once, you, once you've been healthy, you realize what? You realize how unhealthy you really are. And all of a sudden, these things actually taste kind of bad. Soda becomes really sweet to you for some reason. Your palates change because you've enjoyed healthy food. In the same Thread, if you are taking in the word of God, at first, you're not going to be used to it. It's going to be bland to you. But as you continue to take it in, you start getting healthier, you begin to realize what? You realize how sick you've been really are. You've really been all this time. Can I tell you that? If you come and you tell me, PT, like I've read the Bible and nothing's changed, how often have you read it? Once, well, there it is, okay? But here's the thing, I have, I, have a, I have some stats for you. I think I shared the stats before, 
but for all you guys, it's, uh, it's from backtothebible.org slash research. They, they researched 400,000 people, 400,000 people, and, and they did this, uh, this worldwide research seeing what would happen if you made the main diet of your life the word of God. And they saw that if you read the Bible once a week, how much change do you think would happen to your life? They saw zero, okay? Two times a week, zero. Three times a week, still zero. How many days in a week? Seven, right? So when they hit the majority, right? When you hit four times a week, though, when you make eating well, eating the word of God well, four times a week, when you make it the majority of your weekly, daily intake, all of a sudden, things change dramatically, okay? Loneliness, they said, decreased by 30%. We live in a very lonely world, yes? People are seeking for therapists. Nothing wrong with therapists, nothing wrong with uh, medicine. I have nothing against those things. But sometimes maybe the first prescription you should give to yourself is, have you read the word of God? Like, I need, I need a therapist to talk to. Well, have you read the word of God whose voice is the ageless one who speaks to you through his word? Maybe you should start there. And then after that, maybe there's some other factors that we need a therapist, some medicine for. Nothing wrong with that. But what they saw was that forward 30% loneliness decrease when you read the word four times a week. Your anger decreases by 30%. All, right? All of you guys who are just angry about everything, right? Just, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're angry. You go to sleep at night, you're angry. You just, you can't, your husband speaks, you're angry, right? It's like just, something happens, you're just constantly angry all the time. And you're thinking like, it's not me, it's them. Maybe, give it a shot, it's a novel idea. How about you try to read the word of God a little more than twice a week, once a week, three times, try it four times a week for two weeks and then see what happens to your anger. Marriage issues decrease by 40%, 40%. Alcoholism decreased by 60%. I think that's a true word for our church. Alcoholism decreased by 60%, right? <laughs> Pornography decreases by 60%, right? Evangelism increases by 200%. Isn't that crazy? That means like going from like one a year, maybe like to three times or two, two, two times a year. Investing in the lives of others increased by 230%. So what the studies showed, what the stats showed was that if you were to in, take in healthy diet for your life, the word of God for the majority of your life, if you disciple your palate to begin to understand how unhealthy you've been and how much you need this nutritious food that God has given to us, all of a sudden we see changes begin to happen in your life. How do you live a life holy in a hostile world? It is not by taking in malice, deceit, envy, slander. It is not by constantly filling your minds every single day, swiping over and over with all these things that's been going on in the world and the media around us and think to yourself, somehow that is going to make me better. That is unhealthy food that's going to create unhealthy people. God is saying, take in my word. This is my diet for you. It is meant for, to help you. It is meant to strengthen you. It is meant to um, overcome your fears, your doubts, your insecurities. It is meant to help you grow and mature. Come and taste. And then you realize how unhealthy you've really been. 
He made you, he loves you, and he wants to impart health to you. Can we all agree that this world is not healthy? Yes? Right? The world is not healthy. People are not doing well. There are, people are self-destructing. They're imploding upon themselves. Anxiety, depression, loneliness, confusion, alcohol abuse, spousal abuse. All those things are going up. I don't have to, yeah, look at the stats. You can see it for yourselves. The world is not going to get healthy anytime soon. But in the midst of hostility and unhealthiness, you can be what? Holy and healthy. If you are in God's word. I love you guys, and I want you to be healthy. Just like I know you guys love me. I remember when I first came to this church, what's the one thing you guys kept telling me to do? Not to do. Stop drinking Red Bull, right? Eat some greens, PT, right? Drink more water. All right? You love me. I get it. You're looking out for my physical health. So my question for you is this. How can you know this for me and not see it for yourself spiritually? Because if you're healthy in here, you can become a hope out there, right? How are you called into holiness in a hostile world? Start with scripture. Feed yourself good nutrition. Get into God's word. Get into that. Some of you guys are like, it's not going to work, man. I tried it. Have you? It's, it's, like, it's like me hearing like, you know, brothers or sisters saying, you know, I work out. It's not helping. Have you really, though? Have you really? I've been eating healthy. It's not working. But have you really been eating healthy, right? I've tried God's word. It's not helping. But have you really actually read God's word? Have you actually taken the time to open it, to consistently, committedly read it, to have a habit of it? Did you know if you do 20 minutes a day, you can get to the whole Bible in a year? Did you know that? Can you imagine not just for a year, but imagine doing that for 10 years, what type of man, what type of woman you would become. If you would feed yourself good nutrition rather than just having little morsels on Sundays like this. You start with scripture, feed yourself good nutrition, and then here's the second thing. How do you live holiness in a hostile world? You build your life on Jesus. Look at verse four to eight. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone, will be, the, the, stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Cornerstone. What is Peter saying here? Right? How do you live healthy and holy in an unhealthy and a hostile world? One, you build your life in scripture. You build your life on the very word that God has given to us for your diet to make you mature, to make you strong, to make you healthy in your mind, in your spirit, and in your emotions, and even in your physicality. All those things will translate. But the second thing you do is you build your life on Jesus, the cornerstone. Now what Peter is saying is this, the word cornerstone, it's a picture of a mason work. Okay? You're building a home. You're about to build a home, and you're about to lay the foundation. And 
as you lay the foundation, the most important stone is that first stone, the cornerstone, because everything else will be built upon that stone. How your building come out will be based upon the cornerstone. And Peter is alluding here to the idea that if you're going to build your life, what are you going to build your life on? What is your cornerstone? What is the foundation that you are placing your life on? And Peter is saying the cornerstone that should be yours, the cornerstone that is going to build your house correctly, it should be Jesus. It's the first thing you need to lay down before you build anything up. Because if your cornerstone is crooked, what's going to happen? Your house is going to be crooked. If your cornerstone is brittle and it crumbles, what's going to happen to your house? It will crumble. What you build on is foundational and fundamental. And so if you want to live holy and healthy in a hostile world, what Peter is calling you to do is check your cornerstone. What is it that you're building on? Who is it that you're building on? We're all building on something. You and I, we're all building on something. If you say, I'm building on me. It's all about what I can do. I'm just going to do me. Guess what? It's going to crumble. I'm going to start with my spouse. I'm going to build up on my spouse, my kids, my family. Guess what? If that's your cornerstone, it will crumble. If you build your cornerstone on your relationship, your money, your career, guess what? It will crumble because the cornerstone must be foundational if everything is going to last. What you build on upon all these things, your family, your career, your money, yourself, all these things are transient at best. They are here and they are gone tomorrow. They cannot endure the test of time. They cannot overcome these things. But what has endured the test of time? What is eternal? What is ageless? Jesus Christ, the strong tower, the rock. All right? Why does the world around us feel like it's crumbling? Doesn't it? I mean, every day I hear it. The world is messed up. It's crumbling. We need to fix it. Can I just say it's probably because we're not building on the right cornerstone? Right? Dismantle the institutions. Okay, then what? Rebuild it. Okay, on what? The voice of the minority, the marginalized. Okay, so that now they become the ruling voice in power? Aren't you just building on the exact same stone? You're just giving a different name? What are you building on? What is your cornerstone? Here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth. You guys ready? Your marriage will crumble without Jesus. Your families will crumble without Jesus. Nations, economies will crumble without Jesus. Everyone is made, everyone is mad because things are bad, but no one is building correctly. As Christians, we know what? We know because we have the word of God. And where do we start? Where do we start? With who? Say it. We start with Jesus. We start with Jesus. He is our cornerstone. And the Bible says some will be offended. Some will be stumbled and reject, and reject Jesus for it. Some will say, I don't want Jesus as my cornerstone. I don't want him to be dealing with me in my marriage or in my money or in my sexuality. Some find Jesus and Christianity offensive. So they don't, they don't build on him. They build on something else. Some will find Jesus a stumbling block to their lives and therefore end up doing what? Rejecting him. Let me tell you guys something. The history of the world. Nations, kings, ideas, They've come and they've gone. But the one thing that has endured the test of time is the word of God. God's word will not fade away. It does not perish. 
It will never leave God's mouth and not come back bearing fruit. God's word has stand the test of time. And the word of God reveals who is at the central of it, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of human history. Jesus is the center of all humanity, right? And Jesus is the center of your life. So my question to you is, do you know Jesus? Honestly, do you know him? Do you love him? Have you received him? And here's my second question to you. Have you built your life on him? Because yes, there are people who can love Jesus, know Jesus, and they build elements of their lives on a different cornerstone. I can say I love Jesus, I, I'm, I'm all for Jesus, I'll, you know, I'm, but they build elements of their lives on different cornerstones. They build elements of their relationship, their job, their money, their family on a different cornerstone, on the wrong cornerstone. And lo and behold, how funny is it that those things begin to be the very heart of why you're so anxious, why you're depressed, why you're so worried. Lo and behold, why is it often that sometimes you built your cornerstone of your family, of your life, of your family, on your own marriage, and all of a sudden these things fall apart. When marriage and people disagree, you start being angry with each other, things start falling down. But here's the thing, you're still loved by God. If you love Jesus, you're still saved, but your life crumbles and collapses in these areas. Because it's not built the way God designed it. This is what I mean when I, when, when I harp on the idea of spiritual legacy. What are you building your marriage on, church? Love. Okay. Right? Woohoo. Okay. Comfort. Money. Ease. What are you building your marriage on? If it's not... Jesus Christ, the rock and our foundation, can I tell you, if not in this time period, you will see it crumble in the next one. All it takes is one generation. All it takes is one generation for everything to go just backwards. Some of you guys grew up in church, you guys know this. Your, your mom, your dad, they built their whole life on church. Everything they thought was awesome, the religious work of it, and all it takes is one generation for everything to go backwards, isn't it? Because they didn't build on Jesus, they built on the religious act of it. Are you building, as Peter says, a spiritual house? A one that will endure the test of time? The one that will build legacy? Are you being the holy priesthood? Bringing people before the living God, your family, your spouse, your friends, your children? Are you offering spiritual sacrifices, everything you have to him? If so, Jesus should be priority in every aspect of your life. Jesus should be priority in your budget. Jesus should be priority in your parenting. Jesus should be priority in your job. He should be priority in your career. If not, everything you are building will be in the process of collapsing. If you are not building on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, everything that you are building on is in the process of collapsing. You don't need me to tell you this. You see this naturally around you. You see this, even within your own family, you see this. It won't take, it won't, and the thing about collapsing, it's not gonna happen overnight. That's just too easy. It's gonna chip away 
cracks. You know how like, when, when you get a window crack on, when you're driving, there's a little window crack, there's a little, there's a little, little crack, and you're like, oh, that's not so, that's so bad. I don't even worry about it. And then next day, it's just, it just gets a little, little longer. Like, well, how'd that happen, you know? It's like, oh, I can still see. It's all right. And then it just keeps going. And then all of a sudden, like, it just goes straight down. And before you know it, psh, the window shatters on you. Collapsing doesn't happen overnight. So you have to ask yourself the question, what are you building on? Part of the angst and pain that the world is feeling is because they're trying to build something that is collapsing. Because if it was built on the right cornerstone, it would not. Well, then let's just rebuild it. No, what you should do is replan. Go back into your life. Go back into the categories of your life and replan. And begin to ask the question, am I really building my career on Jesus Christ? Am I really building my family on Jesus Christ? Am I really building my finances on Jesus Christ? Am I really building my education on Jesus Christ? Am I building my future on Jesus Christ? What is your cornerstone? And Peter's saying, unless it is Jesus Christ, it is in the process of collapsing. One by one. You may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow. You may not even see it in a decade from now. All you need is time. And that's the beautiful thing about Satan. He has plenty of time. He's already lost. His only goal now is just to screw everybody else up. And all he needs is for you as a believer to say something like this. I love Jesus. I follow him. I'm with him. When it comes to my relationship, my wife, my husband, my children, my future, my career, I'm going to build on other cornerstones. I'm going to build on something else. Church, my prayer for you is this. How do you live holy in a hostile world? One, you have to receive the nutritious word of God, the life-giving word of God. You got to change your palate to enjoy it, to take it in, to let it change you from the inside out. I promise you. This is almost a guaranteed promise here, okay, that if you would read it, if you would open your word and read it, make it a part of your life. That would be the first thing you open up. Not just your, not, not your phone swiping through your media, but open the word of God and read it and read it and read it. It will change your life. And then you will begin to realize how unhealthy you've always been. You begin to realize how could I have ever been doing that? You know, some, pe- some people, Christians who have matured, a little bit in their Christian walk, they look back and they realize, how did that, how did, how did that fly for me? How, how, did I, how did I do all of that in my life? That's just crazy. You read the word of God, and the second thing you do is you cling to Jesus Christ as your cornerstone. So I'm going to invite the praise team up here. As they... Uh, play a few uh, things. I want to I read this to you. I want to I read to you the identity you have because of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you who you are because of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you what the word of God says about you. I want you to leave this place with hope. I'm here to build you up, not beat you up, okay? If you felt beat up, 
Let me build you up right now, okay? I'm here to build you up, not beat you up, and I'm here to remind you that those who are in Christ, those who will make mistakes, who are inconsistent, and yet still seeking to make progress, those who are in Christ, this is what Jesus says about you. You guys ready for this? All right? Can I get a little jingle? Thank you. All right. Let me give you guys some background. You guys feel it here. Okay. This is what he says. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a chosen race from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There is no black. There is no white. No brown, no yellow. There is no sex, no creed. You are a chosen race that God has picked you from the mire. That before the foundation of the earth, he called you by name and he says, you are mine. I have made you mine. You are for me. I am for you, not against you. You are a royal priesthood. What was once designated to a few people to bring God's presence to the people around them. He now opens it up in Jesus Christ that you, now the very vessel of light to those around you. You are light, you are not darkness. You have the Holy Spirit pulsating in you. The same power that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead is the same power that lives in you. So do not live defeated. Do not live broken. Do not live as if you are lost. Live as if you are the son and daughter of the living God. You are a royal priesthood, church. You are a holy nation. A holy nation. We can admit that every nation in this world is broken in some sort of form. Every nation in this world has their ups, has their downs, has their issue, but it is one nation that will endure. There's one nation that will be seen at the end of time. There's one nation that will stand strong. There is one nation that is his, and it's his kingdom. He will bring his kingdom to this place. You may feel defeated here in this time. You may feel ostracized. You may feel being offended by those around you. You may feel like you are a, a minority amongst people. But God tells you this, you are a holy nation, church. You belong to his kingdom, and in the end of it all, you will stand strong. You will see it to the end, because you are my people. All nations will fade and collapse, but not mine. You are a people who belong to me. Is that good news? You are a people that belongs to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. It does not matter where you think you've fallen. You have not been called Satan yet. You ain't that bad yet. It does not matter what you think you've done that is unworthy of his forgiveness, unworthy of his mercy. God says, you are my people. You belong to me and nothing can separate you from me. Jesus says that if you ever were to fall from my hands, you will not fall from my Father's hands because you are my people. You walk out of here proud. You walk out of here knowing your identity. You walk out of here understanding you belong to God. You are his son, you are his daughter, you are loved, and you are bought by his blood so that you can do what? Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? You have received mercy, church. You have received mercy. Stop living as if I can't open this word because I, I, I dare not talk to a God whom I have sinned so much against. You have received mercy. I dare not pray to a God who I consistently, committedly offend over and over. You have been bought by his blood. Though, the scar, though, your, sins are as, uh, though your sins are as red as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Church, do you believe when God says that as far as the east is from the west, so is your sin from my eyes? Would you wake up and return to your father? Would you wake up and be the people whom God has redeemed? Would you wake up and be a holy nation once again? Would you wake up and live this life healthy and holy before a world that is unhealthy and is broken and is crumbling? Church, will you build your life on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ? Be his people. Let's pray.